Hey everybody, this is So Many Sequels, your book club for movies. I'm Josh. I'm Garrett. This week on the show, we revisit an old So Many Sequels franchise favorite, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. The movie that one letterbox reviewer called the American James Bond. The plot and the grammar might be a little messy, but the action is high, the cast is great, and it's definitely got me excited for Part 2. Worth the watch. Plus, we talk about the strikes going on in Hollywood and the impact that it's having not only on the content that we watch, but the people who are making it. We've got all that and more this week on So Many Sequels, so be sure to check us out online, so sequels.com. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, and be sure to follow us on social media. You can find all those links again at so sequels.com. Without any further ado, enjoy the show. Let's talk about this uh, big strike going on. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of moving parts, and it's get, it's just gotten bigger with the yeah. uh, SAG-AFTRA union joining. And yeah. we haven't talked about it on the show yet, you know? No, yeah, I think we. It's, I mean, it's definitely a thing that we should be uh, discussing, especially uh, like you said, now that it is uh, blown up into the all of Hollywood almost. Basically, yeah. I mean, you've got the Writers Guild of America that um, started their strike on May 1st when their deal expired with the um, Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which nobody really knows about or hears about very often. Yeah. Uh, but they're the big the big honchos in Hollywood who run the whole show, the mysterious AMPTP. Um, they, you know, broker deals with these uh, unions um to kind of uh i don't know keep the peace so to speak so a lot of people might remember the writer's strike of 2007 um that's the only other big one that's happened kind of in our in our lifetime and if you remember a lot of it back then was about pay Mm -hmm. that hasn't really changed we're we're talking about pay again this time but we're talking about a little more than that um in 2007, uh, streaming video basically did not exist. So it was not a thing like it is now. And a big sticking point when it comes to financials is that, did you know that these writers and actors are not making any residuals off of these streaming shows they're doing? You know, I didn't. And that's interesting because I was, I was always curious as to how they got paid in general for for streaming shows uh post season run um mm-hmm. because that is a thing and i mean that's why syndication mm-hmm. became such a big thing for a show because it meant those people those writers those actors those, all of the people involved would can continue to get paid uh right. after the show has ended giving them some kind of security and so again with streaming uh you know i don't know how often these contracts are updated but i certainly know that usually the technology runs faster than the industry. And mm-hmm. so uh, it's definitely a thing that I have no idea about. So this strike is uh, definitely bringing all of that to, to light or should be if you're not aware of it. 
Yeah, and and now that uh, SAG-AFTRA, the actors' union, has joined in, uh, you're seeing a lot of famous people talking about it. Um, you know, just the nature of the business is that actors are more famous than writers, so getting right. their faces on screen is important. And I've, I saw a couple that were really shocking to me. Um, Sean Gunn, who we know um, as James Gunn's brother and is one of the stars of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. He was on uh, Gilmore Girls for a long time. He was talking uh, the other day and said that he doesn't make anything off of Gilmore Girls streams on Netflix, uh, despite it being one of their top syndicated shows. He makes nothing. There was another actress I saw post to TikTok. She uh, starred in several seasons of Orange is the New Black on Netflix and actually showed video of her residual check. And for all these episodes of all these seasons, it was $27. For $27. a Netflix original, $27 was her residuals check. And that is what they're fighting about. So sure. I think the immediate reaction to kind of your average person that isn't involved in this stuff is that why are all these rich, famous people asking for more money? Because they're it's being not... held hostage by richer, <laughs> less famous people. Well, exactly. <laughs> they, it's not about the rich and famous ones. They are the ones who are thankfully supportive of doing this and leading it, but it is for all the other people who are union members in, in these writers and acting guilds. Something like 2% of members of these groups are successful enough to make a living wage doing these jobs. So the vast majority are not rich and famous, the vast majority. Uh, so go ahead and, you know, get rid of that idea right now if you have it. We're not talking about getting Matt Damon more money. Uh, we're talking about these actors that you don't know who do work all the time and who should be able to live off of it, uh, not being able to. Yeah. Same thing with the writers, you know, you talked about yep. um, pay, uh, but the other thing is the the lack of season number, you know, uh, originally, you know, a long time ago, sitcoms would have 13, 24, sometimes episodes a season, and now a streaming service has eight, 10, uh, sometimes shows have eight, 10 episodes, depending on, you know, they usually run them as a limited series, and then they bring them back. Uh, for a, a round two because it's really re well received but it's only like an eight episode max or something like that so all of these shows they get such high quality production content and they only run what eight episodes and that's a fraction of job security in itself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then there's no way of really knowing if the show is successful or not until the streamer says it is you know there is no uh, credible rating system the nielsen ratings don't really work the same way for streaming as they do for broadcast and so you just kind of have to like trust what netflix says as to what's successful and so there's a lot if there's less anybody you should trust it's netflix it's netflix there's a lot less security in in your show being renewed too so netflix is is known for for buying up shows and then not renewing them or canceling them pretty quickly uh, before they even get a chance to take off. So yeah, these are the people who are asking for more money. On top of that, we got the whole AI thing now, right. where we've got these uh, creatives kind of sounding the alarm on 
the speed at which generative AI has exploded recently has has made it kind of scary as to what it might be able to do down the line. And so we've got writers worried that studios might forego paying writers altogether and have AI write their scripts. And most people might roll their eyes at that and say, that's not, they can't do that yet. Not yet, <laughs> but there's no reason to think they wouldn't down the line. And for actors, this blew my mind when I heard Fran Drescher talk about it, uh, who is the SAG after president. She said the studios were talking about digitally scanning background actors uh, who, you know, do play roles as extras. People walking in the background, those are people, paid actors. Uh, they're not doing it for free, but they're talking about sc digitally scanning them and then being able to use them throughout the movie or television show uh, throughout the production so that they only have to pay them for the one day of shooting versus the full thing. And that's also unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one's crazy. The whole thing is crazy. My only pushback to anything is I've seen a lot of those Netflix original movies, and I can't be convinced that they that some of them haven't already been created by AI robots. Uh, they're Valid. way too similar, and they're way too generic, and they're way too, uh, I don't know, body, if you will. So that's my only thing on that. But I agree, no, that, you know, the using an AI to write anything uh, for creative purposes to take over for an actual creative purpose is going to lead you to something bad, probably plagiarism in the long run. You're going to be in copyright infringement yeah, with somebody else's best. things. It's all scanned from the internet. So somebody's going to be like, that's my thing that's been on the internet since like 2005, bro. So, you know, you're just going to get yourself in trouble. So that mm -hmm. is a dangerous one. And then, yeah, definitely the body scanning thing is incredibly that is incredibly sketch. No, 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 no. It's friends. super sketch. And you know, there's already that's happening to a degree. Uh, there's a lot of movies who will, you know, shoot background extras and then kind of multiply those same ones. And I don't think that scene is as controversial as what this is, because that's more of a you can't hire thousands and thousands of background actors. <laughs> I get that. Uh, but this is totally different. This is this is being able to uh, you know, you guys watch movies, people watching this show, uh, you know what they can do with CGI now. Disney brings actors back to life, they de-age them uh, excellently. So that's really more concerning to me than the writing part. Um, For sure. In terms of essentially deep faking people just to get out of paying them. You know what I think an interesting comparison could be for the writers to consider is what um, college athletes went through for video games um mm. video games like madden uh, or not madden but like ncaa whatever whatever right you know you couldn't have their names on there because of the likeness issue you had to pay them for their rights so it was net like a college football player i don't know if they are now it's been a long time since i played but growing up they didn't have the college names it was like number 18 right you know that was right. the actual number but the the name wasn't on there, and the light. It was a generic was person. Exactly. So I'm wondering if that is something that they could look into. Of like, you know, I I don't know if the rules have changed, but I know sports in general has changed to where college athletes have a lot more rights than what they used to. So I think that could be something that maybe they use as a you know if they need to use it to their advantage. I think that could be interesting. What do you think the solution is? Because you know, obviously, we won't 
more people to get more money. But I still think, you know, you look at the model itself and that's what, uh, if I remember right, Fran Drescher was talking about the model has changed so much. You know, initially when Netflix was here, they didn't have original programming. They took content from streamers or from uh, broadcasts, from movies, whatever. And then those people were like, wait a minute, we can do this ourselves. And so we don't need Netflix. So then we're just going to put our stuff on our own thing and try to get people there. And either way, you're still not getting people paid because now you have to create original content to fill that. And Netflix, everybody, it has to become a thing. So can we go back to that old model of Netflix pays broadcasters a fee to house their stuff, and then that money is distributed amongst the industry and the actors? Are we so far gone that that is not even a feasible solution anymore? Because that seems like the ma it makes the most sense because everybody costs – like Netflix has to create its own original content CBS has to create its own original content outside of everything. So everybody's just content, 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 content. And and maybe that's not what we need. I, maybe we need to lessen it up and go back to where Netflix is just a housing unit and people pay for that. And they fight over the, the like a cable situation. I don't know. But that seems like maybe a better model for everyone involved and a little less cost expensive. Right. Well, so I think there's a couple of steps that can be taken to reach a solution um but like i don't know that anyone's gonna like them uh because they're gonna involve it's gonna involve these studios have got to stop spending so much money uh it's it's really comical i think yeah, it's it's for sure it's ridiculous spending to the point where i would would start asking questions about embezzlement like you all do not need to be spending hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars on one film. I don't believe yeah, that because agreed. we see very, very good low budget movies with good effects uh, made all the time. So why is a movie like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny costing $300 million, one of the most expensive movies of all time, uh, when it visually doesn't really look any better than any other CGI movie, you know? Why is that happening? I saw another graphic being shared um, around in the strike talk showing the budgets for Disney plus Marvel shows. And these six episode TV shows are, they are still spending as much as a blockbuster film. Why are you spending that much? Where is it going? Because yeah. we know it's not going to the writers or these actors who aren't, you know, Samuel L. Jackson. Um, right. they're going to have to cut their spending, but that also means there's going to be fewer projects, which is less work for writers, but could also mean, um, better projects potentially if we, if right, we, we got to, or go ahead, I'm lose. I, I, I was just wrapping that up. No, we are definitely in a situation of content overload. Like everybody, mm -hmm. it, it, you're just blasting stuff out. Good idea. Bad idea relatively finished idea let's just throw it on the on the air and see how many people watch it and that just seems like a doomed model because how are you creating revenue that's what i can't understand. well they can't like get i get you that you're getting the subscription model but even your your outward cash flow is not enough for your 4.99 10.99 a month to to be influx that enough like i just don't believe that that's the problem is they're spending way 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 more than they're making and they're making quite a lot that's the problem like disney plus right. makes hundreds of millions of dollars a year and that is somehow still not enough and that is ridiculous uh at that point i don't know what you're doing 
How yeah. how well, is it making that much money and you're still spending that much? Yeah, and look at all the you know I, I really do think you you look at the blockbuster model that we're gonna we're gonna be talking about in this episode here. We're gonna be talking about Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. That's gonna be number one in the box office for one week because Barbie and uh, Oppenheimer, and Oppenheimer are coming out next yeah. week, and then the week before that, you had Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was in there for what one or two weeks before Mission Impossible did. Like, there's just it's so condensed, but also just constant. Like there's just constantly crap coming out just so people focus on like the blockbuster months, spread your stuff out. Quality over quantity will net you longer runs in the box office too. I mean, you want your movie to be doing well throughout for a long time. You want people to go see it over and over, but like these movies are going to get buried just because there's another big one coming out next week. And then I'm going to lose my interest in that one because well, I'm, already behind like i'm not gonna have a chance to catch up until later so i just don't see the i don't understand the model i guess is is truly the situation it doesn't make feasible financial or logical sense yeah um that's yeah that's the issue that's yeah it's because the environment has changed too much because that model did make sense without streaming right but now they're competing with themselves and telling people to also stay home and watch this thing on disney plus and then on top of that coming out of the pandemic we know that most people now are pretty feel pretty confident that a new movie will be on streaming relatively soon so why should i go out and see it and that's the the solution to that no one will like and that is they should they Got, they have to put it on streaming later, <laughs> but that will yeah. make people mad. But that's the only way. Um, Disney Plus movies hitting hitting or Disney box office movies hitting streaming in three months is is that's why you don't make money. You make mm-hmm. no money anyway. And I still think that I still think that like TV broadcasters consider getting rid of your streaming and then working with Hulu, working with Netflix, and and using that payment method. I don't know. I don't see a benefit necessarily of housing your own stuff other than it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, But then again, in order to keep me interested, you have to keep creating original programming. I think we've learned that's the model. You're not going to get me there just on your archive, you know, but that's where third party like Netflix used to be helpful. They had a lot of people's archives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, with TV, they also just need to make less. Uh, it, It didn't used to be where there was a new series premiering every week. It was like the fall TV season was when the big shows came out. And then the summer was like some fun, like reality shows. But now it's like a big show is dropping every month. Slow that down too. Yeah. <laughs> Let me catch up. Question. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe we're old. We might be too old school, but hey. Maybe. Still... There's got to be a balance though, because it's clearly not working for a lot of people right now. I mean, no. you know, again, it's working for the, the studio executive who do make hundreds, what was it, uh, the Netflix guys, how much money did, was their bonus or whatever? Millions of dollars, an astronomical amount, an insanely stupid amount, <clears throat> despite the fact that they're telling everybody that they got to kick off their own passwords. And, you know, I, I don't know if they're, they say that their numbers are up, but I don't necessarily believe them. Why should I, you know? It's uh, we're here, we're here over on so many sequels with the writers and the actors right here. If you haven't exactly, yes. very biased. Long story short, we're supportive of the strike, and uh, 
believe that they should get all of the compensation that they deserve because <laughs> people are so dismissive of that kind of work but like what do you do all day all night you consume the content like if right. it went away it would be difficult for people for a long time because we've gotten used to it we didn't you always have, have it so we'd family. get used to it again but yeah. um yeah i know it's yeah uh it's gonna be interesting you know and again as of this recording you know you're allowed to go see movies as an audience member so uh you can continue to do that i don't know if and when they will change that but you know if they do we'll figure out something else to do for the show yes uh yes this is uh not a not a general audience strike yet they haven't called for that um hopefully they don't have to this is the first time in 60 some odd years that both of these unions have been on strike together so it is a very significant period of time in hollywood uh so either way it's likely to have a historic end eventually yeah with with, with hopefully some good news <laughs> yeah and, and remember as soon as your favorite movie or tv show is delayed don't blame the actors don't blame the writers Blame right. the rich, wealthy people who are trying to stay low because they think that by doing that, they'll be like, oh, I'm just one person. Yeah, but that person's got more money than all of them people out there on that picket line put together. I know, I know. And like, I, I, I'm, I'm old school. I like late night TV. I miss my Colbert. I miss my Colbert yeah. clips. Uh, he's yeah. been off since May. All the late night shows have been off. Uh, I haven't heard anything if they, at what point they would consider coming back you know, like they in 07, they came back and just improv the whole show. Uh, that was interesting. I assume that's on the table eventually. But then yeah. again, with the actors, with guild, the actors, are, yeah. And Riders then it's like, actors. is it? I don't know. <laughs> they can't come promote their shows, really. No, no. And and they've already started figuring out how to get around that. Um, Disney had a premiere for the new Haunted Mansion movie the other day and used uh, Disney World characters on the red carpet instead of the actors. So, wow. uh, clever, but still. Only mm. Disney can do that. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You won't see a Warner Brothers movie with, Loon with Looney Tunes characters on the. <laughs> Although I'd like that. I would be into yeah. that. That'd be fun. Uh, anyway. I think that's enough talk about the the strike for today. Uh, we will be sure to keep you all updated with it as we kind of keep up with it along the way. But again, really hoping that it ends as soon as possible because people need to work and people need to get their money. America. Definitely. Capitalism, man. <laughs> all right. Well, next up, we're going to be joined by friend of the show, Matt Archibald, to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning part one a movie with a very long title uh so let's go ahead and get into that um uh, but yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about mission impossible seven dead reckoning part one today seven's not really in the title we were <laughs> before the show started arch we were just talking about how the uh, punctuation works in the title because there's mm -hmm. so many addendums to it <laughs> um it seems like everyone settled on mission colon impossible dash dead reckoning part one as well. okay I had many deliberations on how to do that as well yes. when, I talk, when I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to put the colon or not. I think I stopped putting it, but it, yeah, that actually does work because it, it's supposed to be there, but yeah, like just yeah. don't understand why punctuation it's, in movies. Yeah, it's, it's rough. all out of whack. 
so before we go ahead and get into our thoughts on the movie, I thought I'd read uh, the synopsis from Letterboxd to set the stage. Uh, it says, Ethan Hunt and his IMF team embark on their most dangerous mission yet to track down a terrifying new weapon that threatens all of humanity before it falls into the wrong hands. With control of the future and the fate of the world at stake and dark forces from Ethan's past closing in, a deadly race around the globe begins. Bum, bum, bum. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. There it is. Uh, <laughs> let's start with some general thoughts. Uh, was it worth it? Do we? Is this a good movie? Did we like it? I liked it. I Ooh. liked it enough to enjoy it. I thought it was fun. I continued on the action. Obviously, I have some picks, uh, but overall, I thought it was a very fun watch. Okay. Arch, what'd you think? Uh, so, yeah, this was my probably my most anticipated of the summer, aside from, uh, well, maybe Guardians, I guess, was anticipated too. But this was, I've always been looking forward to this one. I've loved the franchise since the beginning. I, I thought it was great. I loved it. Um, it it mostly met all of my expectations it is i mean it's disappointing to it's not a blatant cliffhanger i guess so i'll take that um but it was uh i had a great time i loved it yeah i gotta jump on board with this sentiment as well i really liked it too um it was one of my most anticipated of the year and i felt like it mostly delivered i didn't know a lot about it going in i kind of tried to avoid plot details especially because mission impossible plots are uh, by design, really uh, goofy. <laughs> uh, they've got their their part of the fun is is how goofy some of the missions can be. Uh, the hints impossible. So I I I got to say, coming into it, I didn't know it was going to be about an AI enemy, mm -hmm. and I thought that was very prescient of them because I'm they've been working on this movie for years, and <laughs> a year ago, no one knew what ChatGPT was. So we'll talk more about that, but I I liked that aspect. And I just thought it was all around fun. They keep ratcheting up the stunts. Tom Cruise gets crazier. And, I, you know, maybe the the most um, uh, lukewarm take of all time now, I think Tom Cruise might be the best movie star. Ooh. That's a, that's a, that's a big claim. I mean, I, it's I mean, hard to argue with the last couple of years. Especially. I'm not saying best actor or anything. I'm saying movie no. star. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he knows he's in all elements of it, too, now that he's a producer as well. I mean, if you told me when I was in high school, I wasn't even high school. I was like 13 when the first one came out. If you told me I'd be almost 40 and still seeing Mission Impossible movies, right. it's kind of like it's uh, that's an echo with a lot of franchises right now. It's like if you told me that you see in Fast and the Furious and Mission Impossible movies almost in my 40s, I'd tell you you were crazy. Um, but now it's kind of morphed into this vehicle, Mission Impossible in particular, for Tom Cruise to do these stunts, which is what gets people he's very good at convincing people to go to the theaters i think too so and it and it works because you know he's actually doing the stunts so uh you know, as is not the case gotta, with everything i gotta say i've been listening to our old episodes because in 2018 pre-pandemic times during fallout when that what movie came say? out uh we were talking about early you know we were reviewing the all the whole franchise of the movie and, and it was when uh jeremy renner we got to that point and we were kind of talking about you know, is this where they might be uh, handing it over to Tom Cruise? You know, is this the the start of that? And you know, there were a there were moments in time because at that point in time, none of us had seen Fallout except for Andrew. 
And we didn't know what the whole setup was going to be. So we were thinking still, is this the time where they're, you know, Tom Cruise is getting a little old and this is 2018. He's going to be almost 60 by the time the next Mission Impossible <laughs> comes out in 2021. And now at this point in time, that's the farthest thing from anybody's mind. Absolutely nobody wants Tom Cruise to go away. They want to see what this crazy man is going to do because he does. Again, you know, again, uh, some of the things that I like is that uh, these movies really showcase Tom Cruise. I think that they showcased him a little too much just because they were, had a lot of other things that were equally as impressive in this movie that I think could have shown. Um, I personally blown away by all of the women in this movie. Haley Atwell mm. was amazing. Uh, Vanessa Kirby was amazing. Uh, Palm Clementine, I don't know if I said her last name right, was at, was really enjoyable. Uh, all of those three gave such good performances. And every time they were on the screen, I really thought they stole the show. Uh, so you brought up an interesting point there at the beginning, talking about how they, I thought they were handing off, I thought they were working to hand off the movie uh, last time to Henry Cavill. Hence, uh, that will explain, I can explain my facial hair for this review. Um, at the last movie, so my twin brother came up and we saw, we see the movies uh, together so he came up but on the last movie obviously uh, there was the whole mustache gate with henry cavill and right. uh, he contractually was unable to shave that off and that jacked up the whole J justice league graphics anyway that explains so as a an honor to i mean i didn't even like his character that much but like as an honor to the movie franchise my brother and i do because uh, when he shaved it off he called it a king stash so we do king stash viewing or Mission Impossible movies. So love uh, I love that. Yes, beautiful. Uh, that it's is gonna, so neat. Yeah, it's uh, it's just uh, yeah, it's very niche. That's perfect. Thank you, Josh. Uh, but so that um, that being said, that obviously did not work out. Uh, right. you know, I mean, it's we're out of the spoilers, and I would think to know what happened with Henry Cavill's character, uh, I won't mention it right now. I guess just to spare it. But uh, I was very. It was unfortunate. It didn't work out. Although uh, I agree with you definitively i thought the uh, the adding of um hayley atwell i was excited about how hayley atwell when they announced her because i love her from uh, i want her to be captain carter in live action really bad i'll just say that but uh we've loved yeah. her in our household for a long time i thought she did she did great uh and i i've been preaching before this movie even came out that i want her now to take the mantle that i thought henry would and they could hand it they don't hand it off directly to her i wouldn't mind if they did but I feel like it was getting to a point where like we were three movies in and they had almost the exact same cast and hadn't really added anybody. And this added, you know, to well, we'll get into probably spoilers later, I guess. Uh, but uh, it added a lot of potential, you know, juice to the movie to keep it going. I mean, years in the future still. Yeah, um, I think so. And I mean, yeah, I loved Haley. I also, I mean, Palm was excellent as that when she was driving through and in italy that whole i and we'll probably get into action scenes i guess in a minute but um she was just it looked like she was having a blast uh she was crazy it was awesome uh, i loved her too so i think she kind of stole a little bit of it too yeah totally agree the the, the women rocked in this movie uh, i also got a shout out Haley atwell who i've liked for a long time a lot of marvel fans love her as agent carter like you said uh, Arch, I loved her in the in the show that she got, uh, Justice for Agent Carter, because it shouldn't have been canceled so soon. Yep. Uh, she also has a really good episode of Black Mirror that's that's super creepy. If you haven't seen Ooh. that, uh, recommend it. I don't remember what season it is, but it's one of the older ones. Uh, so she's she's great, and she 
matches Tom Cruise's, uh, you know, extreme energy pretty well. Uh, they have a lot of stunts together. I don't know how many of her stunts she did herself, but she she felt like she was a good match for him, and I I liked that a lot. Um, I agree. And yeah, let's talk about some of those action scenes because Mission Impossible is becoming known for that. Uh, they are to act to stunts what um, Fast and Furious is to car chases. Every movie is just a reason to see how we can make it crazier. What are you guys' some? What are some of your favorite stunts or action scenes from this movie? For me, there's just so many. Like, I, you know. I, I was sitting there watching this movie and and there were so many moments where I felt so claustrophobic is the way that <laughs> I, you know, so a lot of times this movie, these movies do big extravagant things and this, and this was, but they did it in such confined spaces sometimes. I mean, like, you know, you open the movie with the, the motorcycle the alleyway. chase scene throughout the city within the sandstorm and you just feel so confined. And then, yeah, there's an alleyway fight scene with uh, Ethan and Paris and another henchman where they're like in a cage, tiny alleyway where there's no room to like get back. And they're like jumping over each other and squeezing by and it's tight. And then the Fiat scene where they're handcuffed together and driving to like, there was just so and many tight claustrophobic scenes that just made me feel so like, oh my God. And I loved it. It was just a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. I'm going to probably repeat too, but yeah, I mean, I agree. So obviously going in, in this day and age, it's impossible for them, to, no pun intended, it's impossible for them to keep these stunts a secret anymore. So we all knew going in that the mountain scene was coming, which was fine. Uh, they actually released a year ago, the, they had a pre-production thing about the whole thing. So we've already, I'd already seen it. Uh, that said, uh, it was still like when I was watching, when you watch that happen live in the movie, like I literally, as he go to stress up and over, it was like, I mean, it, it takes your breath away a little bit just because you know he's actually doing it. That's what's, it's just crazy. But um, I divert from that to say, I think my favorite stunt and uh, scene when the whole movie was the Fiat chase in Rome. Cause it, I mean, it was very, a very long chase. It kind of evolved as it kept going because they changed car, you know, they start with the one car hand off to the uh, Fiat eventually. I did not, they, I thought they did a really good job keeping a secret that, you know, it was like a souped up Fiat that was like electric or whatever. Like they didn't spoil all the good stuff in there because like they had little they had humor intermixed in there with the chase like how they they flip down the stairs and then swap seats and, and like, swap kind of yeah each other uh, yeah just I the little moments uh, it was great and then when they did the uh, like Palm was chasing them going crazy over that chasing down the stairs um, they had that whole scene where they peeled out while Haley was trying to learn how to drive the car and it was it was just funny it was you know remarkably funny for what they were doing um so i mean I, that whole time i was laughing and screaming and just uh, the whole scene was great um but that like i said it didn't let it led up to i thought they added enough to the mountain thing to make it interesting but we all knew, i mean I, you knew that was happening when they you know, like when he looked up the mountain uh it was like okay here here it comes and it, it still had a good payoff i thought even though i'd seen you know we've seen every variant of it uh, yeah the uh the mountain jump i think was definitely what was marketed as this movie's big stunt uh but yeah we'd seen it so many times already that i kind of wondered how I, there's always a worry of did they just put the coolest thing in the trailer i don't think they did 
because while it is very cool and probably was Tom's most dangerous stunt, it wasn't the coolest part of the movie. Uh, one of my favorite stunts, which obviously had to have involved some kind of CGI, but I still think was a pretty cool scene, was the... Cl- uh, not the climax, but towards the end, and I'm trying to say it without being too spoilery, but when uh, Tom and Haley's character are climbing through upward through train cars that keep moving was yeah. so stressful and well filmed, well directed, because I just kept wondering, when is it going to stop? <laughs> and they just keep climbing. That was really cool. Uh, I didn't, it was I didn't Uncharted even meets Jurassic Park 2, but yep. with its own special twist. Like, it was really, really well executed. Yeah, exactly like what you said, Josh. From performance standpoint, from stunt standpoint, to shot and cinematography, like it was really well constructed because, yeah, that was another moment where I would say I was like claustrophobic and like, what? They're right, I'm fully <laughs> clinched. Fully clinched. Mm-hmm. It was a nice uh, evolution of the, the lot because the Lost World one's been around now for almost 25 years. So I thought it was a nice evolution that they didn't do it like shot for shot. I mean, there was a cool, like the, the stuff falling out in the train to hit in the ground was a very similar shot, but it was really cool to see the variance they did. And the fact now they could show it, like you said, like going from car to car, like, cause I think they went through three or four cars. So mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, amazing stunts in this movie. The, the Fiat car chase scene was so fun. Another f- way I've never seen a car chase done before. So I loved all that. Um, I was trying to think if there were any other big stunts that really stuck out to me. I'm sure that there are, and I'm just not remembering them. I did have that whole airport. The airport sequence near the beginning was mostly not in the... Tra- they showed some of the stuff from trailers, but you didn't really know what they were doing at the time. That's true. Um, I thought I thought it was pretty funny. It was kind of cool to see. I mean, they were essentially doing deep fakes in the airport, so it was kind of right, um, right. Some interesting technology. So let's talk about the the AI of it all. Mm-hmm. How this movie? You know, I don't know when this movie was written. I actually heard, and you never know if this is like Tom Cruise lore or something. But I've always heard that with the the Mission Impossible movies, they kind of show up daily with an outline, and they essentially write on the go. Uh, so I wonder how much of it was fresh. I don't know. Uh, I don't know when exactly it was filmed, but what did we think about the AI villain? I think that's interesting because I felt like, you know, my main critique of this movie is I felt like the plot itself is a little messy. Um, I don't, it's not, it's not enough to deter me, you know, again, (laughs) I boil it down to basics as evil AI wants to take over the world. Um, outside of that, is where the pieces are like, who, where did it come from? Uh, who's, but like, how? Like, I get that it's there, but like, how? You never really said how. You maybe did at one point in time, but like, I don't get it. And that was my main issue with it was, I don't necessarily understand how this thing came to be or how it got so big so fast. Um, I, it is definitely relevant and it is obviously like, connectable so i it didn't bother me too much it just felt a little like if we can just get across that this ai thing is bad it'll be fine and they didn't really try too hard outside of that i think it's unique too uh, they did like yeah whenever this was written because i i think it was a few years ago at least when they started it 
Um, and yeah, I didn't know what chat GPT was then, but I, I feel like since it's a two part movie too, they might've spent, a, it, it was confusing initially to me because they were trying to explain it so much. Um, not, not in a bad way. It, the thing that was most confusing to me was like, um, so the villain that was played by Isai Morales, the guy, like it was almost, I feel like the general public might get confused whether or not he's even a real person, the way that they were 100%. doing that. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, cause he's, he's a person. Uh, but it was not like when they did the airport and thing in particular, where he was like disappearing from the camera, like it took me, yeah, I had to think about it. Eventually kind of, I, I thought at it first out. that he wasn't real for, yeah, for I thought it was like a hot projections. Um, you know, it was, it was just kind of just almost too complex for its own good, but it worked itself out. I think we'll get a lot more clarity in part two, given where it leaves off and uh, potential, you know, you know, where things are going i think we may learn more about its origins because it was very uh oh uh, it was just kind of ironic that like the i was surprised they didn't do a pre-credit tease after that initial the initial scene with the you know they had the eye in that room in the big red ball uh where i guess that's you know the like ground zero for it um but yeah we know nothing about why they had it what they were doing with it they're just in the antarctic or wherever that is um or russia was it russia Antarctic, wherever it was. It was, um, yeah, yeah, somewhere up there. Yeah, uh, this is a place where I also have critiques. Uh, I did it. I did like the the overall story. I thought the AI villain was cool. I, I liked what they were doing with it. But I do also agree that they over-explained it a little bit. Uh, I feel like we were told how those keys plug in together six times, and, like, <laughs> it really wasn't that complicated of a story. I just feel like they explained it so much that it felt complicated. Like, okay, they made a key, you have to have two pieces, and it unlocks something at the bottom of the ocean. I don't need to be told that six times. Uh, yeah. But that, but it was very exposition heavy. Um, so I don't know I, how that, I don't know what was going on there. <laughs> I, I think that was so they could all do their imitation of that magic trick to make the key pieces disappear in their hands. Because they did it like three times. Because Tom does it, Haley does it. <laughs> And I, th I don't know if someone else does it, but they all flip the keys in their hands a little bit. I know. Bit. I did. I busted up when Tom Cruise uh, starts doing close-up magic. And they I love the uh, addition of close-up magic. It, yes, really close-up magic always helps things. So, um, <laughs> Excellent trick there. I was also going to say about the AI, I was going to echo what Garrett said, that I would have liked to have known where it came from. I also am a little I'm a little surprised that it didn't come up with the government people and all that that um maybe you can't control it. They just seem to be interested in someone can control it and they must. But like can't who said that you could? Meanwhile Tom yeah. just yeah. wants to destroy it. Always the right move. <laughs> Destroy the right move. an evil killer AI. That's the end. Just destroy it. There's no saving. There it. was a. Start over. <laughs> I'm just thinking now of 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 Tom Cruise, cool parts, and he had a great line that I remember where he said something about if you, if anything happens to either of them, there will like nothing that can save you or your god. And I <laughs> was like, oh, I'm scared of Tom. <laughs> yeah. I had to spit that out before I forgot it. That was a cool. I, for, I forgot another line. Uh, I'll, on a second, uh, second viewing, I'm going to write it down because Isai Morales had one line that just I just 
I think I busted out laughing because it sounded so crazy. I think it was when he was on the train. Tom comes out and he's just standing there. I think it's around that time. But he said something that was kind of real outlandish, just sounded kind of forced, but uh, also kind of funny. I don't know. I got a kick out of it. I um, want to go back to one of the other parts of this franchise that really stands out, and that's the mask play. Uh, yes. Great job with their mask work and who's real, who's not. You know, they're big reveals. But the scene that I really liked the most, and I could be wrong about this, but the Vanessa Kirby, Haley Atwell mask scene where Vanessa Kirby was pretending to be Grace, <laughs> pretending to be the White Widow was really impressive and like hats off to Vanessa Kirby because that I imagine it's difficult to do because she delivered a really good performance as a White Widow. And that scene where she was pretending to be Haley Atwell, pretending to be herself, was really believable as someone wearing a mask. And I yeah. really think that that was the first time that we've seen where we knew someone was underneath the mask pretending to be someone else. Usually these things are big reveals where it's like, oh no, Scooby-Doo. Um, it's this time it was like, we see who's going under the mask and know that they have to sell this. Otherwise bad things will happen. That may have happened in some of the other movies, but I really appreciated that scene because it felt different. And I thought the acting was really well done. Yeah, I can add to that, Garrett, because yeah, the, so the mask thing is a running, it's at this point, I think it is a running gag. The mask, the masks always break now. It's always, they always break somehow. This one was different because they got one mask out and the other one didn't. In okay. Ghost Protocol, they had the mask machine not work at all. It, it painted everything. Uh, so I, I think it's like a running thing at this point. They're going to do it every time. Um, that's it. Yeah, I want to see how they did the mask thing with Vanessa Kirby because I could not stop looking. Her eyes looked, it almost looked like Haley Atwell's eyes were CGI'd into, I don't know, it's probably just contacts, but it just, not that it was bad either. It was just, it was just kind of cool to see her facial reactions were like amplified because the eyes were like, I think they were brown and her eyes were really blue or whatever color. Um, so I'd be curious to see how they did that because I think it was all Vanessa Kirby, but it was just, I kept looking at her eyes. I actually read it and I, have, I had no complaints about it. But they, they made the, uh, someone made a comment that like even her brother's in the train car and didn't realize her eye color changed in between going to the back car or whatever. Uh, again, minor gripes, but yeah, I, I just couldn't. I love that Vanessa Curry got to do that too because she, like, I was wondering how they were going to continue to use her. And it was cool to get some more backstory from her as well with right. connections back to the first movie with Max, her mother, um, because that was rumored. Like, they didn't ever blatantly say it in the last one, even though it was pretty obvious to me. Like, she sounds like her, she looks like her, she was doing the exact same job as her. So I always had assumed it was her daughter anyway. Um, but I love that they officially confirmed that because uh, I was she's one of the good parts about the original. I'm going back to my OG roots here, but she was one of my favorite parts of the first movie because like the first movie, it's it is I'm kind of veering off. But the first movie is so much different than where they have gone. Oh, yeah. There's, there's not even that many big stunts in the first movie. The biggest stunt in the first movie is him hanging from the ceiling. Uh, that was the one that everybody remembers from yes. 1996. So it's it was uh like I said, it was just a, it was kind of a cool thing for Vanessa Kirby because um, I, I like her as an actress uh, and it was good to see her at least get an extended scene and not just be like a one-off, you know, the yeah. arms dealer that make the broker that makes the deal type thing. Yeah, and, she she was really good in that scene and I'm, I'm glad she got to do it too. The masks, I just, I love them. 
I, 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 I feel like such a dork because they get me every time. And every time there's a mask reveal, I just giggle and it tickles me so. Because uh, I, I never see it coming like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> I, that, I mean, the, the first mask reveal, we, they spent so long on that guy that I knew something was going to happen. But I never thought that. No, no. It's a great every reveal. time, I'm so pleased. <laughs> What I liked about that one, too, so uh, my wife actually said she knew right away that was him. I didn't pick up on it. I thought it was awesome that they managed to put that scene in, even in the trailers. And I, you know, you had no idea, like, and because when he was standing there and they kept doing cutaways, yeah, sure, it's kind of, I thought he was just setting up that he was getting ready to take over the room, not that it was Tom Cruise in his, mm -hmm. uh, in his reveal. Now, I am, that was CG, that was a CGI person's face, not him. Because in the first movie, Tom Cruise actually plays a senator because he's in the mask. But that was a CGI guy, right? And then he pulled off and it was Tom Cruise. It's not Tom Cruise just in a mask, right? I, I'm, I'm sounding really... It's, it's got to be CGI, right? They're it's got to be CGI, right? <laughs> now they've got to be. Uh, I don't know, I though. I have no idea. I don't trust I, them. I think it's CGI, but I, I'll have to see. I've, I've only seen it once, so I could probably yeah. tell if I saw it one more time, but... I'm pretty sure it's just an actor that had an interesting looking face, but I am too. Again, am I'm too. showing my age, throwing back to because I remember when I was a kid and I saw the first one when Tom Cruise is dressed up as that senator as in that mask. I thought that was a real actor, a different actor, and he just had a mask that he pulled off and looked like him. Oh, but it's no. Tom, it's Tom Cruise playing the senator. Anyway, well, let's um, let's get into some spoiler stuff now let's let's start to wrap up with some with some spoiler talk so if you haven't seen the movie yet go ahead and go away now we've talked about most of the good stuff but uh there's a couple spoilery things particularly with this being a part one of a two-parter that i think we're going to talk about so uh again uh thanks for joining us <laughs> and stick around if you did watch the movie because we're going to keep talking for a few more minutes um okay yeah, how about that ending? We're not really left in a like you. I think you said at the start of the show, Arch, that it wasn't like a cliffhanger per se. And I do agree with you there that like we at least had a resolution of uh, Ethan gets the key, but he still doesn't know what it opens. Mm -mm. I mean, yeah, it really sets. Up, I mean, I think it really shows. Like the whole movie is like since it's two parts, it's just about getting that. It's all about the key. Because, yeah, we know, no, and they said it a couple of times too near the end where they're like, we have the key. No, no one knows what it needs to open. We need to find somebody that does. And they said that over and over to reinforce that. Um, so, yeah, it's that's why I think they have to tell us more about it because we still have no clue how they end up wherever they go. Um, I did, I read too that I, I read that Tom Cruise refused to let them end on a blatant cliffhanger. So, I think that we may have him to thank for that, hopefully. Um, you know, that's interesting because I actually don't necessarily have a problem in this case with a cliffhanger, um, only because it's in the title as part one. Um, I think that I have no issues with it being a, feeling like a complete movie. Don't get me wrong. I'm fine with that. But at the same time, I do think uh, it would have been a, a fine time to end with a cliffhanger that gets me looking forward to it, especially because they shot them back to back. Um, I think that that really helps and, and could get me looking forward to it. Um, overall, I don't really like it, but I think in this context, it could have helped. It doesn't add to it in one way, shape or another, 
um, it is nice to feel like this is a standalone movie to some extent. So I, I do like that. I appreciate both ways. Yeah, it's it's very uncharted territory for them since it is the first one. So it's it's kind of a new we're we're on new ground here. Yeah, um, exactly. But I, I I am sufficiently happy with it. Like it, I agree with everything you said here. I'm I'm pretty happy with it too, and I I totally agree with you, Garrett, that it's in the title. So uh, I don't know how you wouldn't have seen something coming that you weren't going to know the answer to everything. Uh, so, and I felt, and I was happy with the place where it ended. It, I didn't feel unsatisfied by that ending. I was like, okay, we made significant progress, uh, but there's still a long ways to go. Sounds good to me. And everybody who matters is still alive. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, Haley Atwell's character jo- potentially joining the IMF. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a nice little twist. I enjoyed that whole dynamic. You know, again, I think one of my critiques is that there's a lot of people in this movie, a lot of things going on. Um, I think an argument could be made. You don't necessarily need the FBI chase or the CIA chase, but I like the I like the payoff at the end that it had with, uh, you know, her choosing to accept. I really liked that. Well, uh, I got semi-spoiler with it earlier, I think, too, but uh, the the redirect on Palm, because, you know, you kind of think she's dead, and then they, they say, oh, she's unconscious. Did he say she's unconscious, or she had a heartbeat or something? Yeah, she um, had a pulse. I'm I was excited like, for I was her. Like, You're darn right she's coming back, because uh, yeah, I was like, I love that. that. I was like, I was like, do not kill her off. Do not kill her yeah. off. No, she was one of my favorites, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, how do you, are you guys, look? how do you feel about going into Dead Reckoning Part 2? I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I I feel like this delivered a good part one, and I want to know what happens next. I mean, in pure hyperbole from uh, Chris, Chris McQuarrie and Tom Cruise probably have both said it. Like they've already said that like you you won't even believe what he's going to do in eight uh, if you think what he did jumping off the mountain was crazy. So they're setting I the bar. It. I mean, I mean, I already know that they did a CinemaCon thing where Tom Cruise is on a biplane, on yep. the plane. So, like, I don't know what that entails, but uh, that's just one of, you know, because I would assume it would be close to the same length of movie, almost a half. So we might have another yeah. two and a half hours of, I mean, they got to come up with other stunts to do and they'll have more team As far as I it, know, the man still wants to make a movie in space. Maybe yep. this is the one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I mean, so. if Fast and the Furious can do it, Mission Impossible can do it. Right, so. right. That's true. We just know Tom will do it for real. He'll do it for real. Oh, they'll film it. <laughs> He'll do it for real. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. I, I think it'll work. Uh, any other final thoughts on the movie? Anything we didn't get to that you guys wanted to touch on? Uh, I actually had one I'll touch on because I'm again calling back to my OG. Uh, I love the first one is my favorite love one that. of all time. But uh, at the beginning, when Kitridge, I love that Kitridge came back. By the way, I loved him. I mean, he was yeah, kind of he was a good. great. He was gray area from the first one, but I love that they got him back. Um, but they had a, a slight piece of dialogue. They didn't do the payoff I wanted, uh, but they were talking about um, one of the lines from the first one is uh, when he's blowing up the aquarium, he's like, uh, Ethan, I understand you're very upset. And he's like, Kitridge, you've never seen me very upset. And then he blows it up and runs out. And they did that line again where uh, I think I think that Kitridge says, Ethan, you seem very upset. And I, I wanted him so bad to do it again, but he did not. He said something else, but it still was a nice throwback to the OG, the OG uh, dialogue because that's that was in the trailers I think for the original and it was just a good interaction. He has great rapport with Tom Cruise. 
as that character because Kitridge was kind of always an ever omnipresent uh, thing uh, from the first one. So uh, I love that little throwback. I'm sure there are others I'll catch on a second viewing. Um, he did. Oh, he also did. Uh, sorry, I'm getting into real in the weeds with Easter eggs here. Uh, he does his Ethan does his uh, his signal locator is Bravo Echo one one. He said that on the phone once, which I thought was really cool. Uh, I, I, I love all the OG connections. That's yeah, I love it. I, I uh, want to go back and watch the original trailers now. Yeah, see what they were like. It's just yeah, it's just so crazy. You know, here we are. You know that was 1996, and here we are, and it's you know 2023, and it's still going. It's just I know, and and stronger crazy. than ever, stronger yep. than ever. Mm -hmm. uh, what about you, Garrett? Anything I left on your list? My only other addition uh, was uh, again a welcomed casting change edition. Not change. I mean, you know, uh, I think what Angela Bassett was in Fallout. Uh, she is not in this one. She is replaced by Carrie Elways, which is always <laughs> what a nice surprise to see, to see Carrie on my yeah. movies on my movie screen. I love I love Carrie Elways. He's my Robin Hood. For a second, he I thought he was going to be. I he thought he was the president. Oh, there you go. I was ready for him to call to call him Mr. President. I was like President Prince Wesley. Here we go. It, um, it was also that was a good deep cut too because uh Harry Elwes and Tom Cruise starred in uh, Days of Thunder together in the 80s. Uh, that's I love right, that, and did. I love that movie too. So I, I didn't even make the connection at first. Wow. Then I saw I think I saw you know a, a post on threads or something about them like you know like back together on set in 2023. Uh, United. If you have not seen Days of Thunder it is a wonderful NASCAR movie. Yeah. Even if you don't like NASCAR you it's a good movie so no, I completely forgot about that too. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, that's our talk on on uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Let's uh, look at some letterbox reviews. Play the pl play the guessing <laughs> game, and then give them give us our ratings. So I've got a few collected letterbox reviews here to kind of get us started. We've got Kirsten, who gave this movie four stars and said, "Folks, he's done it again." Demi gave it five stars and said, I got so overwhelmed and flooded with dopamine that I started sweating at the climax and my Fitbit gave me a keep up the good exercise alert. Ooh, the, I got the anxiety sweats there at the end too. I'm not going to lie. Tyler gave it four and a half stars and said, James Bond wishes he was as cool as Ethan Hunt. And finally, Julia gave it four and a half stars and said, the next part will be about those millionaires that were on that submarine. <laughs> Topical humor for everybody. That's wonderful. <laughs> Dark topical humor. So with that in mind, those are some of the most popular reviews for this movie on Letterboxd as of right now. Where do we think the community is sitting on a, on a zero to five scale? I, I feel like the community in general, this is usually, I think, highly regarded or has been lately. I'm, I would guess a 4.2. Oh, Ooh, I like it. I, it's, I love it's it. It's an early release, so True. I think that stands a chance because they're usually higher at the front. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go, not quite that high, but I'm going to go at a 3.8, I think. I don't know. Mm, mm, I really don't. It feels so lame to go in the middle of that because it's so such a thin margin, <laughs> but it also feels mean to me to go higher. It feels mean to Tom Cruise to go lower. Oh man. Okay, I'm going to I'm going I guess I'm going to go in the I don't know. I don't want to go in the middle. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna hope it's higher, and I'm gonna pick four point three just to just a slightly one up you, Arch. Okay, here nice. we go. Pulling it up now, refreshing it. I haven't seen it yet. This is really good for us that David's not here because he is uh, winning by a landslide. Uh, Garrett, <laughs> since you've been taking a break, I don't think I've won a single episode. Oh no! So we got uh, to take him down. Thankfully, oh, someone yeah. here will win. Um, we have we have a winner, but not a direct hit. And the winner is going to be Arch this week because this oh. movie sits at a 4.0 even. Nice. So at On the points, board. 4.1, you were closer than anyone. <laughs> yeah, I think actually this is um, your second point on the show this season because you won um, the other episode that you joined us for. Whoa. Our, which, which movie was that again? Mario. Mario. Yeah, you Mario. won, you yep. won our Mario episode. Excellent. Um, and... Nikki, David's wife, joined us for The Little Mermaid, and she won that episode. And oh, now you've won stars. this one. So the guest category has three, which might be more than uh, me still. I don't know. Bring but that's e, where we're at. definitely more than me. Yeah, that's true. It's going to be David's year again. I, it just can't be avoided at this point. <laughs> Two-time champ. Uh, all right. Now that we know where Letterboxd sits, where do we sit on uh, this movie? I, I'll go first. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna give it four and a half stars. <laughs> Ooh. I really had fun. And <laughs> and the complaints I think are not worth more than 0.5 off. Sorry. Great. Mine is uh, not too far off. I'm dropping it that 0.5 just for my own little critiques. It's a four star movie. Uh so my review, I'll go. I'm gonna go the other way. I am. I'm playing on the nostalgia card, and because yeah, sure, are there there flaws? But given how much I enjoyed it, I and my review scale has been critiqued outside of this podcast. I'll just warn you now. But uh, I, I'm giving it a five because I I loved it. Uh, that my is enjoyment level is how I do mine too. Yes, yeah. it, you know, I think sometimes people get too caught up in trying to rotten tomato eyes everything. If, if yep. that was a five-star movie to you, it was a five-star movie. Yep. That's all that matters. Uh, that gives us Just an as long average. as you're consistent with your schedule. That's well, all sure. Be consistent. Be consistent. I, I've been... You can't, I've been have, you can't be doing... You know, some people give like a, a glowing review and give it two and a half stars or, you know, yep. say it's the worst thing they've ever seen, but you can also give a four-star review. And I don't understand that. Exactly. I'll, I'll be totally honest. I have been accused of giving a lot of uh, three and a half star reviews, which is like right in the middle of Letterbox. Because you can't. I do, do that a lot too. I wish you could do incremental a little bit more, just minor gripes about Letterbox. But um, and I'm I'm giving away like privileged information here. But I notoriously get made fun of in my family for giving Phantom Thread three and a half stars back in the day. Uh, I, it's okay. I, I hated that movie. I mean, it was. I, yeah, did I? Not, I didn't like the movie really so much, but I loved the actress that played this. I think it was the sister. So I, I bumped it up, and then I have not lived it down to, uh, to this day. Uh, it's a running gag. It's fu it's funny at this point, but yeah, I gave it three and a half stars. Well, well I apparently I gave it three. I had to go back and check. I okay, don't really remember. I feel so a little bit better now. That's they can good. make fun of me too. We're still both out. lower than the than the letterbox average. That movie has a four point one. So what? Okay, yeah. So like I hope that they're going to watch this podcast and see this conversation. So. Cin cinema people liked it. Yeah. I think there we go. <laughs> We're movie people. <laughs> uh, sure. Okay, well that makes our average for this movie a four and a half, which yeah. is uh, pretty good. Pretty good for Tom. So um, that is a wrap on the show. 
find us online at so many sequels.com where you can find links to our social media channels. Um, we're on threads now. Everybody's on threads now. So follow us there. Uh, and again, our website, so many sequels.com. You can check out our past episodes, find links to our socials and Patreon. Uh, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>